The following podcast is for entertainment purposes only. We are not anywhere near as experienced as a real financial advisor, so none of our advice should be taken as real serious financial advice. If you lose a whole lot of money, we'll laugh at you. In all seriousness, please do your due diligence before investing in any sort of financial product and enjoy the show. All right, all right, all right. Hello, Magnitudians. Welcome back to the Magnitude Podcast with your hosts, Andrew, Tamor, and Christopher. I hope you all had a wonderful turkey day. Today is the Saturday after Thanksgiving, for those of you that celebrate it. And so, to start us off, on today's podcast, probably like episode 12 now, (laughs) 11 or 12. Officially released episode 3, no, episode 4, but as of the number of episodes we've recorded and quote-unquote, put uh, chalked up as practice. This is like the 12th one we're, we're doing. A little bit of magnitude trivia for all of our listeners out there. Oh, oh, oh okay. All right, yeah, there's going to be a quiz in two years. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, so we're going to start right off with um, some stock news. I'll start. Um, so there are rumors that Salesforce is acquiring Slack. Oh, oh yes, I heard this. Yeah, it's, it's actually pretty pretty awesome um all right so salesforce for anybody that doesn't know or anybody that has the the good fortune of not knowing (laughs) is a sales management tool right so let's say you've got x amount of salespeople, right and they come up with x amount of contacts and x amount of companies or y amount of contacts and z amount of companies right they try to figure out how we keep track of all those contacts, right? What have, what have we said to each person? You know, how uh, who haven't we talked to that much? How do we improve relationships with other people? Of course, using a cool web app because what isn't improved with more technology. So that's essentially what Salesforce does. Now, Slack, on the other hand, is a chat app, essentially. Like, you can do voice chat, right? You can exchange files you can set up certain rooms to address certain parts or certain departments in your company right but all under the same server banner right so that's what slack does now salesforce acquiring slack would pretty much put them square in competition with microsoft because microsoft's also started doing the same thing with features such as their uh i believe sharepoint would be one of them and teams being the other is SharePoint the equivalent of Salesforce? Not really. Share, SharePoint's more of like a way to transfer files and have yeah, and store them. Basic front ends. That's yeah. why I was a bit confused there. Yeah, I mean, if anything, I'd say something like um, DevOps or Dynamics three six five. Yeah, honestly, that's probably right. SharePoint is like a Google Drive, but with Microsoft. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not super familiar with sales software and Microsoft. I hope I never have to be, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, oh, I am. <laughs> you saying you don't want to work at Microsoft? Uh, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> Got him. Um, so, yeah, the idea is that Salesforce is already a hugely successful stock. If you bought it at the beginning of the pandemic, you'd be pretty happy right now, if we're being perfectly honest. Slack, same deal. Put them together, you've got a pretty good combination the only thing that remains to be seen is how Microsoft responds. You know, do they start really rolling out their uh, customer relations management stuff? You know, uh, do people end up thinking, all right, this is just kind of a fad. Let's all go back to Microsoft. 
you know, there's a lot that can happen, but it's it's pretty interesting from a pure I want to make money standpoint rather than a wow, this is really cool tech news kind of a standpoint. Now, my concern with this is that it's going to ruin uh, Slack because I hate Salesforce, yeah. but Slack's not too bad. I don't think I like either of them. Uh, Salesforce does what it can for my job's purposes, and we get by with it, but um, I think Slack was Slack was more somewhat detrimental to our workflow, I think, or like our communication, at least. See, I always thought Slack was helpful, if anything, to my communication in the company. It just feels weird. It just feels like a weird version of Discord that just doesn't work the same way. <laughs> well, it's corporate Discord. Yeah, pretty much. That's Yeah, I think it's just like the feel of the user interface. I mean, even um, Microsoft Teams does almost the exact same thing. But I don't know, something about it I just got more used to faster. Than Slack. That's fair. I, I will say that old Slack is way better than current Slack. Um, like, you know how, like, the uh, current Slack, after they went through their whole redesign and they kind of made everything look a little bit more generic? Yeah, now Slack really isn't what it used to be. See, beforehand, Slack used to be, like, kind of a cool, like, startup, you know, chat interface, right? Like, it was the the corporate equivalent to discord but because it was much more laid back the idea is that startups would use it not only because it was cheap but you know because it kind of reinforced that that uh, casual culture i think that that is one of the downsides of getting acquired by salesforce is that you know salesforce is heavily corporate so do those two really intermingle in a good way i don't know it's a fair point maybe it's just because a lot of the stuff I already do revolves with the Microsoft Office like tools, so the teams will just seamlessly integrate with those other products. Yeah. Maybe that's just the convenience factor I'm getting. Teams meetings are by far my favorite meetings system that I've used compared to like Zoom or Google Meet or anything like that. So teams has done it the best by far. Yeah, you can just if you're using Outlook as well, you can just do the like click on make this a Teams meeting, and then it just gives a link without a code or anything. It just says, join the Teams meeting. It's one way to like simplify it and make it super user-friendly, even to people who don't normally do that kind of thing. Now I'm wondering, now I'm curious, does Slack have like video meetings? That's a good, actually, I don't think so. I don't know if Slack does calls at all. No, Slack can do voice calls. It, it can't do video, I don't think. So yeah, it's just like the whole ecosystem, probably, that I got used to the convenience of yeah i, I think that's yeah <laughs> like it's the same thing with apple yeah, right it's the ecosystem <laughs> it's because everything's interlinked you don't gotta spend too much effort going out of it yeah the biggest thing about me for slack maybe is that like do you ever get that feeling when the few websites you usually go to like in your day-to-day -day, whether it's in work or like after work you have like some maybe you have some saved websites on your new tab page if you're using google chrome then your work or something you know like introduces this new platform or social media platform that you would have to check in on if you want to communicate with people then you <laughs> as sometimes i get a feeling where it's like oh i have to go all the way over to slack just to do the same thing i could do with the other stuff i have 
you ever get that feeling I, that's what i get with slack it just feels like a i have to go out of my way to get there that's like a <laughs> it's like a first point one first world problem i think the biggest problem slack runs into is that it's not part of that you know it, it's not part of a microsoft or a google or anything like that it's just its own thing so you know every organization is going to have outlook or gmail or whatever for the email client obviously that comes with its own chat service so inevitably is competing within its network for communication if that makes sense like the the only job i ever used slack at they also had google meets or google chat whatever whatever they call it it was just always confusing do i message this person here or on slack or do i message them in you know where do i how do i communicate with people and slack always fell to the side because it was the weird one out there (laughs) yeah i get what you mean if slack had some you know more seamless integration with other services maybe it would be more appealing in the same ways yes that said i do think um the chance of you know slack becoming a part of something else will also lose them some customers and the fact that people like that slack is just a messaging platform and that's it it's not it's not you know email or anything else which is why i know a lot of people like it so it's kind of going to be a double-edged sword there but i think it will ultimately play off for the best yeah it doesn't have to be a carbon copy (laughs) it's good that it has its own niche this will probably lead into like um impulse buys but (laughs) i can't remember if i mentioned uh palantir on one of the live podcasts that we aired already but so I was looking into, one day I was looking into IPOs that were being released, and this one was released sometime in, it's I want to say October, and what got me into this one is that I was getting the message that this one would blow up and, you know, also make a, some, a secondary Slack blow up that was invested in it, but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> um, so, you know, in the first month of the IPO's release, it didn't, it didn't do very well at all. It kind of went down, and I'm pretty sure it lost me money for at least a month. And then it just started recently, like in the past couple of weeks, it started just going up and up and up really fast. <laughs> and I didn't know why until like a couple of days ago where I actually, you know, took the time to look at the, the news log that's included on the Weeble app. Um, just looking at the headlines from the recent news from the past couple weeks, there were um, some hedge funds that um, openly stated their stakes in Palantir, and that most definitely got people riled up to jump into it. Um, but the one piece of news that I wanted to hit on was that Palantir was getting into contracts with the U.S. Army. Um, for certain technologies and that really just made the most sense to me as to why it was just blowing up out of nowhere because usually when my impression of when a company gets into business with you know like the u.s government then you know how um, the u.s has a heat the biggest budget for um, military like mm-hmm. big yes it's probably by, by far. half the total budget like in comparison to anything else. Um, <laughs> Don't remind me. <laughs> it just, you know, it just gets the, the, you know, the gears in your brain going that the U.S. could be putting a lot of money into it. And so with that in turn, you could see that the company could do really well if they managed to keep up that relationship. 
and um so far it's i think other people are thinking the same thing because the this stock blew up or i don't want to keep saying blowing up because i don't want to keep throwing in hype where it's not necessarily you know deserved but it rose in one day it rose 20 about 21 or 27 percent um that was like right before thanksgiving let's just say that from the start of the week 1120 was last friday yeah that was last friday it was at about 1840 and then just before thanksgiving it went up to 2891 essentially this is like a 33 percent increase yeah big it's a big jump in a short time and yeah i think just and before that like the month or so before that it was just you know sitting around at like nine dollars and i was losing money on it so um my impression with the the pace that it's going at is that it could have a higher ceiling uh or price ceiling than corsair at the moment just yeah just from the just from the pace that it's going up and the and the relationship with the u.s army is it still Um, going up um from the last recording it was going down after probably yesterday after yesterday going down from 32 to 27 and yeah you know just from my take not professional advice or anything not that anyone can predict it but my take is that it's you know people reaping that huge swing from it the the other thing with it being you know if it does stay with the u.s military is you mean you look at any of the other military contractors whether it's boeing lockheed martin or uh, i can think of the other ones um they're all incredibly stable and solid investments always because you know they're, they're funded by the u.s military they're not going anywhere there is no way in the near future that despite all the crappy things that boeing has done that they will run out of business so it is a solid investment in that regard too as much as i think that it should be uh Tamar, did you have a take on it i'm trying to pull up the article again yeah, I mean, all right, so my, my thing is, I think it's a decent investment in the short term. I don't know how good it's going to be in the long term. So, like right now, machine learning and, you know, data analytics and all that stuff, those are hot buzzwords for sure. But we kind of we went through this in the 90s, like early 90s back when these kinds of algorithms and stuff were first, you know, devised, right? And the problem back then was that not only, you know, were they, you know, kind of so-so in terms of effectiveness, we also didn't exactly have the computing resources to, you know, implement them that well. So after a little bit of time, they kind of fell out of favor and people kind of went back to just, you know, using kind of the human analysis of data and, and correlation and stuff instead of offloading it, you know, onto like an AI or like a learning out, right? Which is basically what Palantir does. Um, and I, 
I'm concerned that in the long run, the two ways this could go wrong is that people realize that Palantir is overpriced and it just crashes, or that people's interest in the underlying methodology that they use wanes, and then suddenly nobody really cares about Palantir again because, you know, if nobody wants your product, right, What are you? who are you selling to? It's the thing with anything that's booming and exponential at the time is it could stay and you know sustain its popularity and continue to grow, or it could just be this spike and die kind of. Um, I, I bet there's a term for that, but I don't know what it would be. Of you know, it, it spikes <laughs> all the, the way up and then just plops. Boom and bust. In the music industry, that would be like a one-hit wonder. <laughs> yeah, that that kind of yeah, something like that. Okay. I can see that. Yeah, with Palantir, I just, I didn't have a, I still don't have an idea of, like, how high or how fast it's going to grow, but, or how long it's going to stick around, so it's, it's definitely a riskier buy uh, subjectively to me because I don't know as much about it, um, or, like, its longevity. For impulse buys, speaking of Palantir... <laughs> Um, I bought in when it was 22,124. And, yeah. I put in... Do we ever talk about how much we put in? Because I don't think it... Does it matter? No, it doesn't really matter. I mean... It's up to you. Alright, I'll just say I bought it at 22. Um, put in a substantial amount into it. You know, just like a starting... Um, like a good starting amount. And then now it's at 28,28. Uh, so nice. just for current state of affairs, that is what it's at. And I've made a decent margin or potential margin. <laughs> um, I wonder if I have a price point for it. I don't yet. <laughs> I'm kind of just watching it to see where it goes. And if it, I mean, if it doesn't plummet. This, a sell price, it? you mean? Yeah, a sell price. Yeah, I kind of just wanted to see where it goes and to see where it would start to settle around. And then I would try to make a decision. Is there a place where, like, if it started tanking, you'd sell? So if it, say it went up to, like, 50 bucks, and then it dropped back down to, like, 25 bucks, I don't know what I would do. <laughs> um, if it goes, if it stays above my buy-in point, I'm fine. Like, kind of no matter what. But if it goes below my buy-in point, I'm probably going to, try to get out of it with no if it goes you know even with my buying point depending on you know this the the news around it and what might have caused it to go down like that and stuff like that right i mean if the entire market crashes, ah. if the market if the whole market crashes then i wouldn't blame it yeah well i mean that, well exactly that's what i mean it's a pretty good lead-in to the world and tech news so a market crash. I actually think that's a really important thing to talk about now. As we all know, Thanksgiving was two days ago, right? Uh, we're, we're talking on Saturday afternoon. Uh, Thanksgiving was Thursday, so two days ago. So, that kind of leads me back to uh, what's going on in reality. That is to say, the virus is still very much raging. raging. We're like in the middle of a, you know, an all-time high in the middle of a second wave and for some reason a whole lot of people in the u.s have decided that thanksgiving is 
more important than socially distancing and getting tested. Now, I don't have stats, but I can say that in about 14 days, when cases start to shoot up again uncontrollably, I think that's going to be another really good buying opportunity for one, but also a pretty depressing time just to see how many people didn't bother to do safe practices during the holiday. And I think we will see like a a market crash either in 14 days or in 14 days after the, you know, Christmas slash New Year's. Like, I think we're right in the cusp. Yeah. The stressful thing is I don't think people are, one, taking it as seriously as they were initially. I mean, when this first hit, obviously, people were like, oh, got to be the responsible person or whatever now. And, you know, it's been, what, you know, almost since lockdown started, it's been eight months. So I'm guessing people are just kind of tired of it at this point and less, you know, willing to do it. Because I even know people who are, you know, were good about lockdown the first time and now they're going to be traveling for vacations and stuff like that. I get it. You've been in lockdown for eight months or whatever. But at the same time, this is by far the worst it's been. So it's hard to justify that. Yeah. On that same note, I was listening to NPR for a little bit, um, I think a couple days ago. Or, like, the day before Thanksgiving. Just while, like, you know, driving in my car, or in the car. It was talking about, uh, I I can't remember the country, but it was in a European country where their COVID restrictions are more strict on, you know, I guess, traveling and even, like, visiting different, uh, different parts of the country or different homes, where, like, visitors, so you like you'd meet in the visiting facility and there would be like officials you know enforcing the rules of uh you have to stay this distance apart you can't touch each other you know you have to wear the mask and one of the people being interviewed on the i guess (laughs) there was like a voice of someone who was being interviewed for it and one of their reactions to the restrictions they were just talking about how they you know they want to be able to embrace their families and their loved ones uh even if even at the risk of covid you know it's obviously they would still do the things as safe as possible but they definitely would like to be able to you know hug their loved ones um when visiting and whatnot um just as like a you know another example of the same sentiment in other places that have it harder it's hard because you know you think of the holidays and you think who you're going to be visiting it's you know usually people who aren't in good health you know your grandparents or you know your you know when your parents are now 50 you know that is getting to the point where this could negatively affect them because they are getting up in years sorry to any 50 year olds who are listening to this (laughs) um but it's hard because I get, you know, you want to, you know, spend time with your family or whatever and see them. And I guess it's easier for me to say because I'm an introvert who doesn't care about being inside all the time. But, you know, you do have to understand that the magnitude of this situation here. And it's not something that you can just ignore. By wanting to see them, you are possibly risking their health. Especially if they live in a place where, you know, healthcare isn't as great and the cases are skyrocketing right now at the you know, middle of the country mainly. Yeah, I guess it really is about, you know, not making sure that your, you know, healthcare providers aren't 
being overstuffed with with cases and patients already. And you, I guess you just never know how it, the COVID is going to affect different people because uh, it doesn't affect everyone the same way, obviously, or from just based on empirical, you know, happenings. What also is difficult is, I mean, it's just impossible to enforce this. There's no way to make people stay inside and not go visit their family. I, I mean, you can't tell people, hey, don't do this, and they're going to listen. It's it's an information issue, too, because especially in the U.S., there's been a lot of inf- misinformation, and it's very stressful how little people seem to care about it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I wouldn't even stock it up to misinformation. It's just they don't care about it. <laughs> well, it is misinformation in the sense that they don't care about it because they don't think it's significant based on the information yeah. they've received. So I, I agree with some people, you know, who say, you know, oh, you know, the death rate's not that bad right now or whatever. Well, yes, because we've managed to keep things in control for now. But as soon as hospitals get overloaded again is when things are going to start getting bad again. And that's exactly where we are. We've built up a good hospital network that is able to handle a little bit more strain, but not by much. So we need to work on keeping that under capacity, if that makes sense. Yeah. And going back into the how this sort of timeline would affect the stock markets. So like last year, the crash was in was around start of April when pretty much right after the you know, the lockdowns were announced and starting to be enforced. If one happens in 2021, uh, tomorrow you would think it would be earlier, right? Because we already know that COVID is here and things would be enforced. Yeah. So that if there's like an announcement for a second, you know, lockdown that's enforced as much as the original, then then that would be a, another stock crash. Yeah, I mean, all right, so here's my thought and... I mean, of course, it's going to be somewhat political because most news, you know, has a political bent for, you know, whatever reason, right? Or it can be spun that way, but, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of prefacing. I think Biden will be much, you know, better on the lockdown, you know, front and much better on containment. So really, the market crash would have to happen at the last few days of the Trump administration, Right. And I think that kind of coincides with the 10 to 14 day window after a big holiday when everyone comes and meets together, right? So 10 to 14 days after Christmas, 10 to 14 days after New Year, 10 to 14 days after Thanksgiving. I think that's kind of the right time frame for a market crash. My thoughts are, especially when you put it in that context of, you know, what's 10 to 14 days-ish after Thanksgiving? Exactly. Well, Christmas, and then what's right after that? Thanks or New Year's. I mean, these are all massive, usual social gatherings that are going to keep exponentially increasing our cases. I mean, even if you do, you know, small gatherings and stuff, it still increases things. And I mean, just when you think about, almost everyone in this country is gonna want to do something for Christmas and yeah. New Year's and Thanksgiving, even on a small scale. Yeah, I can definitely see that. No, for sure. Even myself, I mean, we had a small group of four people. That still has an effect. My entire family got tested before visiting. Like, honestly, it was just, all right, we want to do this. We got to do it right. That's, that's all it was. 
And I recently found out myself that you can get tested for free in some, in some, uh, I think one of them, one of the places was certain CVSs. Another was one of my local, um, health centers. And I don't remember if there was a third one, but <laughs> yeah. I was... And also I believe all insurance has to cover testing as well. Really? If your doctor orders a test, then your insurance will cover it. Uh, okay, your doctor has to request it. Before, I was under the impression that like I had, I would have to pay like eighty or one hundred twenty dollars for a test. Um, because my friend, one of my friends, was telling me about it, and he had to pay for like a few tests that he did. I mean, I, I went through the process. Uh. For me, it was pretty much that, all right, if you're not showing symptoms, you don't have a reason to get tested, then you would have to pay the 160 for it. Um, and that would be assuming that you could even find a place that'd be willing to test you and that wasn't completely backed up, which was also the case. Um, but if your doctor says, or if, you know, you call up, you know, your, you know, medical, uh, what group system, whatever it is, or your doctor's office say, Hey, I got coronavirus symptoms. They go through, uh, the symptoms with you verify. Yeah, you have symptoms. You should get tested. Then it's free. Um, or at least the insurance covers it for you. And I have, uh, for context of at least Washington, uh, I have a friend who went to get tested. I will not say their name or anything for their privacy, but they literally just, you can walk up, um, I believe you do have to say, like, you know, you have some type of symptom or whatever. Um, and sh- they did have to wait in a line. But it was a pretty straightforward thing. No cost, whatever. Um, but that was also at a public health office. So I'm guessing at private health organizations, it might be a bit different. I don't even think they needed uh, insurance or anything. Yeah. Because um, I asked my uh, siblings. Um, they said they're the ones that told me about the free testing at certain cvs and uh the local health center uh near me and i mean they said they got tested and i mean they weren't showing any symptoms but i don't know if they said that they were but they didn't mention that they told them that so i think it was just um wherever i am it's probably they're probably more open to giving free tests i don't know i'd have to go find out that that also yeah, that's also the thing. Depending on where you are in the country, you have a much better access to free testing. I won't say any particular states or cities or anything, but you can in- intuit as such. Right. Uh, we'll just assume that the worst uh, states and cities don't have free testing. I think that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> so I told you guys about Palantir. I can't remember if I did buy this this week, but I think I did. You know, the days just go by so fast now. This is the one that Timur talked about on a recent podcast that is a penny stock and it's Polarity TE. Oh um, man. Hope <laughs> this is this isn't going to go great, is it? <laughs> well, for Timur it didn't go great. Um he definitely had a less fortunate buy in price. <laughs> um though Polarity TE I watched it for a couple weeks um before I went into it. And I think earlier this week, I saw it at a really nice price point, around like 55 cents-ish. Uh, kill me. And I put in... What was Kill it? me. 
<laughs> yeah, so at, at 55 cents, I put in like $100 just like, you know, as a, you know, I want to dip my toe in, you know, if it goes up, say, you know, just for like, just for like, you know, uh, like theoretically, if it went up to $1,000 or something, that $100 would be a lot of money. <laughs> so, yeah, just... I think about that because of my friend that put like 50 bucks into a Ethereum when it was like 50 cents and now it's up to like... It's 500 bucks right now. Ethereum. Yeah. And so he's up uh, quite a bit of money. And so, yeah, but that's like stuff he's saving. So I was thinking of it on the same similar, you know, risk factor scale. So if I lose 100 bucks, you know, I don't mind it. But if I, yeah, you obviously know. So once I saw it going up uh, past the 55, because, um, you know, bef- the weeks before it was around 90 cents and it actually went back up to like 120 at some point, like it peaked there and then it went back down. Um, and it seemed like it was, you know, decently stable as a penny slot can be <laughs> at 90 cents. So my current price or selling price is going to be like 94 cents for the idea that it would just recover to that amount at some point and yeah i'm hoping to get like a swing from that so so i bought i put in more money at like 62 cents yeah my price went 62.24 yeah <laughs> so that was my impulse buy for the week and it's doing okay for now how about you guys uh, I attempted an impulse sell, actually. Um, it didn't go through, but uh, if it had, I would, I'd be very happy. I, I bought, I have, I hold 10 shares of BNTX, BNTX at an average price of $90. So I thought, all right, if it jumps up to 115 it is responsible to sell off like half of it and just take the wins. <laughs> and uh, it didn't go up to 115 so that didn't work. That's uh, all I did this week. <laughs> Chris, I think you have a impulse buy that's kind of biting you right now. <laughs> well, so I don't have any impulse buys. Uh, I didn't buy anything this week. But I do have uh, feedback on an impulse buy from last week, which is my impulse sure, buy of sure. Corsair. Oh, wow. What, I wonder what happened. <laughs> I mean, I so, so what happened, at least in my opinion, <laughs> is Andrew lied to me. Because he told me this was going to be the best stock ever. It was going to go up. I was going to make so much money. Oh, no. And I did. But then, come Tuesday, I was riding high, so happy. Uh, What was it on Tuesday? It was at $51. Then, it dropped and kept dropping to $38, which was under what I had purchased it at. So... Hmm. But my, my only feedback is, uh, one, uh, the stock market fluctuates a lot. But two, Andrew's a liar. So <laughs> take that with a grain of salt. Hey, they weren't my lies that I told, okay? <laughs> sure. Wait, that would be kind of worse, I think. That's what's worse <laughs> about me, honestly. That's down 10%. Vicious. Yeah, it, it, okay. it, it, it's dropped a good bit, and it's continuing to drop, so hopefully it doesn't drop too much. Uh, that said, I do think it is still a good uh, buy overall, and I am holding it, to be clear. Just Andrew's a liar, think... is all. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, I didn't say that it would, you know, go straight up. I 
I did mention... You kind of implied it, though. I, I only said that it was going straight up. And, well, my... So, like, I mentioned slowdowns at at both 80 and 120, but those are, like, long, long term. I think that 50, like, a $50 price point is, like, some, uh, you know, monumental number for a lot of pe- for a decent amount of people, at least hedge funds, by my, um, by my interpretation, or mutual funds, by my interpretation, um, where, where someone might, you know, let's buy in at 40 and sell at 50, you know, it's just like, you know, those are round numbers, let's do it. That's, that's my interpretation of what could have happened with um, that whole week, because this, this was the span of a week, or like, a week or two, because um, when you bought in, it was pretty much 40, and then <laughs> a week later, it's back to that, it's back to 40. I will say it did stabilize at 25 for a while, and I'm guessing a lot of people bought in at 25. They saw they had made about a 200% uh, gain on their investment and sold off, which makes sense. Again, not going to sell it or anything, uh, but just a bit salty with Andrew is all. Yeah, okay. And this is kind of what gets to me, like, in terms of thinking about, not anxiety, but, like, you know, a desire to see if I can min-max, like, profits, because... In the cases where the stock goes up to a high point and then comes back down to the same number, um, in the case that it does go up again, say you bought and sold that at that first swing, then and you could buy in again at the same price that you originally bought in at, then it goes up again, then you're making that same profit twice instead of just once over a long time. And that's one thing that I kind of want to try. But... Yeah, I'm always super nervous doing that. Um, yeah, partially because your your earnings get eaten up by taxes a lot. Yep, that's the that's one of the problems. The other one is that nobody can really know the future, or know when you know, hey, this thing's going down, that thing's going up, or this thing's at the bottom of where it's going to go, as opposed to going further down. So, I mean, you're you're fighting two different battles there at the same time, and it's, yeah, yeah not a lot of people win those kind, kinds of battles. <laughs> maybe you get lucky, I, I, I don't yeah. know, but, or maybe you figure out the secret to how everything works. The secret sauce. Right. Um, but it's, it's unlikely is what I'm saying. It sucks to hear, but. You want to see people, um. Win, you know, winning big and then losing it all because they were swing trading too much. <laughs> I mean, look at Wall Street Pets. There it is! Woo! You know, make <laughs> thousands of dollars and then, you know, bet it all again on Tesla puts or whatever, and then boom, it's all gone. <laughs> so, that, that's why I'm nervous of it, is because I've seen it fail too many times. I think we're done with impulse trades. Stock of the week. Stock of the week. Yeah. Um, it is... would have to be between... So. For me, it would have to be between... Um, so the topic. What is it? Oh, topic of the week? Well, so for stock of the, tr- uh, stock of the week, we always do a topic. Oh, okay. Yeah. Have you caught on to the trend here? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was just like, which one's doing the best? No, 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 no. This is... Um, uh, do you have a topic? Yes. Okay. The market... You, you expect the market to crash soon. What do you buy or sell immediately? And will you buy or sell something as soon as you see it crash? Slash, what would that be? Hmm. 
Oh, fuck. Um, I'm buying up a ton of REITs personally. Just Simon Property Group, <laughs> DLR, CCI. I, I mentioned this in the last last uh, podcast, but if everything crashes, REITs are going to go down too. I think those are a great way to make long-term dividends at great prices. So you're, you're thinking you'll want to buy into REITs after the crash? During the crash, you know? As soon as it crashes, you would want to buy in. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Yeah, I think, I don't know, well, wouldn't this be obvious, but if the stock market was going to crash, say, Monday, then I would be selling pretty much all of my stocks and then buying the ones that are low. Realistically, if stocks were going to be crashing in, say, January 18th, just a random date. Watch it come true. <laughs> then I'm going to be selling off my... <laughs> I'm gonna be selling my um my Nvidia, obviously because already because that was um my sort of plan for like my six month growth uh, plan for Nvidia. Um, you know it sucks, but it would have worked out with if I did the same thing for Tesla. But I had no no uh, risk tolerance for that. And and so, um, other than that, I might, if like the Corsair stock would crash along with that, not that I would know, but I would sell it and then buy it again when it was lower, even though I wouldn't sell all of it. I would sell like a decent chunk of it and then buy another chunk when it was lower. Although it seems, it usually seems like Corsair is on its own island when like, you know, when there, whenever there's low down days for most stocks, of course, they're still going up. And it just isn't... <laughs> it's just like minding its own business. And then it'll have its own random down day when everything else is going up strong. I smell lies. But it's far and few between. So far, this has been the most down that it's ever been. After it's, you know, highest that it's ever been. So it's kind of what you would have to expect or consider yeah i have a probably the riskiest thing i will say on this podcast for a while uh if i was certain that the stock market was gonna crash again i would buy up uh tomorrow will have to tell me the ticker because i don't remember it uh the volatility indexes (laughs) um because those will skyrocket when the market crashes again that sounds like my playing a dangerous game there chris um, yeah, it, it's it's a risky bet, but I think if, if I was that certain that the market was going <laughs> to crash again, I think that's what I would want to buy. Okay, well, I mean, go big or go home, UVXY is double leveraged. TVIX used to be triple leveraged, but they canceled it because they were like, we can't do good <laughs> conscience, keep doing this. <laughs> yeah, U- UVXY. Yeah, I mean, you could, you could have made a, it was $11 before the... Uh, market crash and it was 110 at the peak so ah uh, yeah that that's a it's risky uh and it's definitely above my risk tolerance but if you wanted to uh if you were certain that something was going to crash i think it's a good investment realistically i would probably buy something like costco or um something safe amazon something like that if the market were to crash again i would buy that on the downfall yeah, that sounds good. Because that's going to go back up regardless. I mean, the only thing i got to say is that UVXY is not an investment, guys. It's it's <laughs> speculation. No. 
Please yeah. don't buy it for a long for the long term because you won't have that money. <laughs> it's it's all no. Good. That would definitely be the, the a short term risky trade, uh, which realistically I probably wouldn't do. You think that would be in the but course of a day? For the fun of it, like a, just a day trade. Uh I don't think so because I mean, looking at this, uh, the history of it, it's gone from ten ninety six February eighteenth to. March 18th, so exactly a month, uh, 10 to $110. Oh, I see what you mean. So if you're looking to make, you know, a thousand dollars or a thousand or yeah, a thousand percent <laughs> increase on your investment. Oof. Okay. Although again, super yeah. fucking risky idea. Okay. Yeah. If, if I had to play it, I would actually, I'd, I'd spend a hundred dollars on UVXY on Friday. And then if it wasn't, fucking exploding by monday i just sell it all like it's, it's it's one of those that you take money that you are fine losing yeah yeah for sure i'm not sure if i would sell the the defense stock just to mention another stock that's you know uh related to the u.s military um i didn't look into why it was doing well i don't usually check everything um but whoa um i don't know it's been doing well for a while now for a couple months uh above my original buy-in at like 10 it's at 1680 right now i'm not i'm not like keeping up with it but i i think my (laughs) i mean there's no way to tell but you know i I think my original plan is coming to fruition i mean it's just conjecture but it's (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but you see it look at it it's, it's so it's so right like like my corsair predictions <laughs> so yeah um yeah something the it's some interesting food for thought all right yeah that's all i have all right <clears throat> well one is it dark where you are um chris on the other <laughs> Okay. No, it is Good. nice and sunny. Yeah, well, sunny for Seattle. Yeah, it's only two forty-five here, to be clear. Yep, yep. Just getting a reference point. I was gonna say like Sun. <laughs> on a dark and stormy night. Uh, wherever, wherever the hell we are. <laughs> Go for um, it. It's for you. Yeah, it's not stormy, but. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to the Magnitude Podcast. It's we. This has been your host, Andrew. Tamora and Christopher, all on this roundup of the week of Thanksgiving stocks. Um, it's been an interesting week, to say the least. Um, I mean, we've had different news stories, different stock bl- stocks blow ups, different stocks, you know, just fatally fall. <laughs> Not fatally, but you know, you know, just fall. And yeah we've appreciated your time here and if you if there's anything you want us to talk about leave them in the comments below if you got any questions you want to ask us feel free to jot them in the comments and or bring them up in our discord reddit um, any of our social media pages and we'd like to hear it um yeah so that is r slash magnitude podcast and i will put the link for the discord server in the description awesome and with that i wish you all a great day, evening, night, whatever time it is, <laughs> you know, late night, insomnia. I don't know what you're <laughs> going through, but I hope you're doing well and 
Have a great one.